Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the ASIAL Security Insider podcast. And today we are discussing an ASPI report titled From the Boardroom to the Situation Room, Why Corporate Security is National Security. The report was authored by Anthony Bergen, Senior Fellow at ASPI, and Don Williams, an independent industry or security industry consultant, analyst and researcher of many years, both of whom are joining us on the podcast today. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. John, Anthony. Good afternoon. Thank you, John. So maybe, Anthony, you can kick off by telling us a little bit about what was the catalyst behind this report? Why did you put together something titled From the Boardroom to the Situation Room and Why Corporate Security is National Security? Well, thank you, John, for the opportunity to talk about our report. Um, and I think um, as we're discussing this in, the, in the, the midst of the pandemic crisis, I think some of the findings... Um, on the role of business and national security are, are very uh, timely. Um, in terms of the, the origins of the report, Don and I did a report uh, earlier um, last year um, around um, the, the role of uh, private security companies in this country uh, and their, the importance that uh, we believe that they should play in our counter-terrorism efforts. And one of the findings, I suppose, of that report is that um, while we've neglected, um, we, the, the national security agencies, had neglected the role of the private sector when it came to countering terrorism, um, it was only part of a broader problem that we identified in the course of that study that uh, business, uh, corporate sector, had not really been recognised as a, complete, a sort of key component of our overall deterrent posture, if you like, against a range of threats. So, um, in associations with support from ASIL, um, Don and I undertook this study to really come up with some judgments, I suppose, about. Uh, where the links were between business and national security agencies, where were the gaps, where were, were we exposed, and uh, I guess what we should do about uh, do about them uh, in the case where we did find that there were gaps. So um, it's a long-winded way of saying, John, that the, 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 um, the origins of, of this report, the motivation for undertaking this work, really fell out of an earlier study uh, looking at the links um, between the private uh, security guarding sector in Australia and, um, and our counter-terrorism agencies. Sure. So, Don, can you tell me a little bit about who was interviewed as part of the report? It's actually very broad, which is very rewarding for us. We spoke to heads of government agencies, uh, intelligence and emergency response type agencies, we spoke to a number of uh, senior security managers within the corporate sector. We spoke to some of the industry organisations, industry bodies, to try and understand how they related to each other, if at all. And within government, there's a perception that they're talking very well uh, with the corporate sector in relation to national security, whatever that means to them. And yet, on the other hand, the impression from the corporate sector was government had very little idea 
what the responsibility of the corporate security managers were, what they were responsible for protecting, what their capabilities were, and how they could interface with government. Uh, so we spoke to a, a broad audience, got a lot of different views, but the common element appeared to be that they knew the other existed. They weren't really that sure how to talk to each other. Some were more confident that they were doing it well. Our research suggested probably not. Yep. And I guess we could... Could I, could I just yeah, add, sure. John, sorry, I, just to add to John's point, uh, when we um, tried to make a judgment about uh, where to get the, the information, we took an early call to uh, make sure that we were looking at this issue in an all-hazards context. So it wasn't just about bombs and bullets, if you see what I mean. We, we, we looked at the areas related to cyber security, uh, disaster resilience, uh, we didn't, <laughs> in hindsight, uh, a gap uh, perhaps, but we didn't specifically focus on on health security. Um, but we certainly didn't confine ourselves in our discussions to only focusing on um, defence or, or uh, uh, traditional security threats like counter-terrorism. We, we did took a, uh, took a broad uh, understanding of the range of, of threats from from uh, foreign interference to espionage to, as I say, disaster uh, resilience, supply chain interruptions and so forth. Yeah, which is interesting because in the context of supply chain interruptions, that brings us in line with, to some degree, what has been happening over the last three or four months. Um, and it would be interesting to see what parallels came out of the report uh, that can be drawn to the sorts of lessons and experiences that we're going through now. So, I mean, Anthony, maybe you can tell us a little bit about some of the findings that came out of the report, of which I'm aware there were sort of eight related to government actions that you felt needed to be taken, six or so that probably should have been taken on the behalf of corporate Australia, and then two that sort of reply or were relevant to both. So maybe let's talk a little bit about some of those findings and, and what we feel could have you know, come out of it that would have helped in this situation. Okay, that's a very, very big uh, canvas. Um, look, just firstly to underline the point that um, Don made earlier about one of the principal findings of the overall study, John, and that was that there really was a void between business and, and the national security agencies when it comes to uh, really understanding uh, the capabilities and limitations yeah. uh, of, of, of each other. And I think Don was absolutely right to, to pick that out as a, as a key finding. Um, and on, on the supply chain issue, again, um, you're absolutely right, I guess, coming out of the... Um, uh, the COVID-19 crisis <clears throat> has demonstrated, you know, some serious weaknesses um, in our supply chain, particularly when it comes to uh, to medical supplies and uh, personal protective equipment and so on. And um, I guess uh, one of the <laughs> one of the chief findings, uh, uh, lessons, as it were, out of the current crisis is that Australia is going to have to be a lot more 
uh, resilient, self-reliant uh, around the manufacture of PPE. So again, that highlights um, a broader finding, I suppose, that Don and I found in our study that um, uh, we hadn't, uh, we, the national security community, if you like, hadn't really um, hoisted in the, the critical role of business that, that sort of been seen as almost bystanders in a way mm. on, 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 on crisis planning, national crisis planning, but the current pandemic obviously highlights, particularly as you, as you point out in the supply chain area, just the critical role that business plays. Look, um, I won't go through, unless you want me to, ad seriatim, uh, all, the, all the suggestions no, we no, made, no, um, but... but, but um, Look, one of the, I guess, key findings was that uh, in terms of um, links between uh, government and business, what we found quite interestingly was that there were no shortage of sort of opportunities, I suppose, for, for business to hook up with uh, government, both federal and state government, when it comes to talking about some areas of national security. But... What we found was that they were very siloed um, and that they they didn't really um, link many of these forums and in and, and, uh, and the areas where, where business and government got together. So um, just to pick out a couple of uh, suggestions we, we made, we, we thought that um, uh, this country's chief security uh, advisors, uh, officers within some of our major companies um, should really have a have an be formed into an advisory group that would work with um, uh, the Department of Home Affairs as the principal domestic security agency in Australia. Um, so, you know, this this advisory group that would have you know experts on business continuity, resilience managers, um, senior security staff. Uh, Organisations like ASIO, obviously, um, would 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 form a group that um, would operate as a hub uh, within within the Department of Home Affairs to, to canvas a wide range of um, of national security issues broadly defined. The the other thing um, we we noted was that. There was an existing group with the, well, the nice acronym ICONS, the Industry Consultation on National Security, which linked CEOs and, and national uh, federal government ministers uh, around national security. But uh, what we found, John, was that the, the, the ICONS group um, now hasn't actually met for nearly three years. Um, so... We definitely think, and I think um, you know, the COVID uh, pandemic crisis highlights the need for big business to um, regularly have a, have a have a forum uh, where the prime minister can you know really engage CEOs on on national security, including, uh, by the way, health preparedness issues uh, with, with CEOs. Um, and look, the other area that perhaps I'd highlight um, is we found that. In the various states, there were these joint um, cyber security centres. And what Don and I recommended was that we thought there was a strong case for these centres to become uh, much more uh, 
integrated with sort of national security uh, between business and government so that they would pick up broader range of, of issues uh, other than cyber security and obviously in the light of uh, the pandemic uh, matters to do with health preparedness and, and health um, security um, could be could be part of those so um, we can come back to some of our other suggestions but I think broadly what we found was that um, that there needed to be um, a bit more focused uh, engagement between um, the private sector and our national security agencies and that all comes back to the point that Don made that what we found was that there was a a gap, a significant void between business and, and government. Don, maybe you can answer this question then, uh, picking up where Anthony sort of left off, but it, it seems from reading the report and listening to what's been said that the gap was largely down to government's belief that they were commu- doing a better job of communicating with industry than they perhaps were. Why Why the void? Why do you feel the government held its position based on your research and what can be done to rectify that? I think there was a feeling, a perception within government across the board that they tended to understand national security in its broader sense, not just for counterterrorism, but protecting uh, a, the nation and making it both safe and resilient so it could bounce back because they were policy and those sort of things. And this is also slightly uh, less true at, at state level where there is a much greater cooperation or, or coordination between the corporate sector and state government because that is where work happens. And the corporate sector generally said it would be easier to find somebody to talk to and talk with in the uh, state level than it was at the federal. There are a couple of agencies, and ASIO is a standout, where they are actively seeking and and being engaged with the corporate sector. Again, mainly the major corporate players. Um, Australian Signal Direct is another one that is doing a lot of work because of the cyber element with the corporate sector. But many of the others we spoke to said, oh, we have a great relationship with the corporate sector. Not necessarily the same impression we got from the corporate. But I think to answer the question of how it can be solved, our recommendations were create the clearly visible points of contact. Icons to be resurrected so the CEOs of the companies could be spoken or addressed by government and with government. One of the comments about icons was, oh, you had the CEOs of the major corporations, but you also had strange little CEOs as well for the, some of the bigger brands, but not necessarily related to security. They're possibly the ones that are now heavily involved in trying to maintain Australia's mental health as we're locked in. You know, pet supplies, hardware stores, those sort of things. So they are part of the, big, the broader picture. So we recommended icons be resurrected and it would have been, I imagine, very nice for government to have a single point where they could address the CEOs of the major companies and say, how do we do this together? The second level we looked at was the forum of chief security officers, which Anthony mentioned. And even if the issues weren't so much about 
physical protective security and cyber security, it would have been a point of contact for government to go to and say, who in your company do we talk to about business continuity, working at home policies, HR and payment implications? And those single points of contact don't exist at the moment between corporate sector and government. The other thing we raised was that there's small to medium enterprises, and this is the supply chain security. They're not well represented in any of the existing structures like the trusted information sharing network. It's difficult for SMEs to be involved with government. And they said that often if they had a good idea or a concern, it was very difficult for the corporate people to know how to approach government, who, which department, who to talk to. Those industries that are well regulated or tightly regulated, like aviation, critical infrastructure, communications, those sort of people, they know their way around government to a reasonable extent. The average SME who's saying, I can make masks, who do I talk to in government, don't know how to find their way around because there isn't a single point of contact for them to approach. Okay. John, could I just um, jump in just to add um, that very good summary that John's provided. I mean, one of the things that we did highlight, I think, was um, that, you know, corporations do regularly sort of stress test themselves. But what we found was that business is rarely involved in the official exercises, whether it be on disaster matters or health or um, cyber or whatever. So energy security that, that, you know, they really need to um, bring in the the business community much more into our national crisis exercise regime. We also suggested... um, that there be more of an exchange between national security personnel and government and the security, um, corporate security planning and resilience areas just to to get a bit more uh, cross-sector understanding, I suppose, of of, of, um, how the public and private sectors um, can can, uh, strengthen their collaboration. So, um, yeah, as Don said... um, it all goes back to communication. And, and we also, maybe Don can come in on this one. I mean, we really did stress um, that there really there's a mutual obligation uh, on the part of uh, business to contribute, produce a sort of resilient nation. And uh, during the, the COVID crisis, and, and obviously um, there's now a national COVID commission that, that Nev Power's uh, heading up, to look at specifically at the role of, of the private sector uh, in, in the recovery phase. And, and um, you know, the theme of, of our report, um, John, that, um, uh, that we, Don and I, felt that, you know, the concept of mutual obligation should be the sort of driving force behind um, collaboration, cooperation between the public and private sectors when it comes to national security and resilience. So one of the questions I would be interested to know is that you you speak uh, about how you know the icons group the the CEOs talking to government on national security is an important part of this puzzle but through the process of preparing this report 
Did you get to speak to many of the CEOs of large corporations? And if so, what was the importance that they placed on security within their organisation? Where on their agenda did security sit? We didn't speak to many CEOs in this report. We spoke to a couple on the previous. We did speak to quite a number of chief security officers uh, within major corporations. And we referred to a group called um, the Forum of Australian Security Executives, which are the chief security officers for major corporations within Australia. Um, and obviously their job and they're selected and employed to protect the business. Now, it can be from a wide range of threats. And they were, the, the, I've got to be careful of my wording here. The impression was that those, again, who are well regulated knew how to talk to government and who to find, to find their way around the power, all the power. Others that weren't specifically regulated or as intimately involved with what we consider normal national security issues were less confident on their way of finding their way around government. But one of the common issues was that sometimes security legislation, remembering that with the exception of the business of government policies and those sort of things, just about everything else that Australia does is now in private hands is in the corporate sector. All our critical infrastructure, health, education, yeah, some of it's done at state level, but even now a lot of that is contracted out. And corporates were finding out about changes to security legislation, and I think particularly in the cyber sector, where there was no warning or prior discussion. And these were coming as surprises and changing the way that corporates had to implement their security uh, measures. So there was a breakdown at the policy level, there was a breakdown at the implementation level. Knowing that they were responsible for many of the things that allow Australia to tick over on a day-to-day -day basis, there was a disquiet that why aren't we involved in the exercises in the planning because we are the ones that will be responsible for implementing and adjusting our processes to meet government needs, if there are any. So, to answer your question, the CSOs are certainly well aware of their responsibility and they tend to be highly qualified, selected through a reasonably arduous process to hold those that level of responsibility. And one of the other communication breakdowns is that with a couple of exceptions in government, they don't have peers. A lot of the people sitting in government security policy positions don't have formal qualifications or practical experience in protective security, business continuity management, crisis management, that sort of thing. There are exceptions, there are pockets of excellence within government. But the vast majority of people holding security positions within government don't have the qualifications that would enable them to have a peer-to-peer -peer discussion with their corporate equivalent. Right. Well, can I just add, can I just add that um, I welcome my uh, co-authors' uh, views on this too, uh, Don. Um, look, I, I think what the, 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 uh, the pandemic 
has highlighted really um, is that um, government now, I think, recognises much more that when business protects its um, its own capability and resources, that it is now absolutely also protecting the nation. I mean, that's really been driven home, surely, during the pandemic, that we we can't understand the role of um, of corporations, business, purely in commercial terms. I mean, the economic security is really the heartland of of national security and and business that drives economic security. So I think um, the themes that Don and I hit in our report about the need for a sort of partnership when it comes to national resilience between business and government have been absolutely highlighted um, during the whole uh, pandemic crisis and, and, and in the recovery phase, uh, issues around the importance of supply chain security and critical infrastructure are going to be absolutely uh, to the forefront. Sure. I, I would strongly support that, but hopefully the mutual obligation and recognition is more visible. Governments at federal and state level, and, and we also in our report talk about local, but what we're talking about at the moment is mainly government, federal and, and state level. The policies, the, the fiscal planning, the ability to, to turn on the, the, the federal financial tax, the legislative changes, all very important government responsibilities and capabilities. The recovery of Australia is dependent on the corporate sector being able to continue based on their own long-term planning, business continuity plans, the ability to, to change the time as, as issues arise. And it goes back again to the small to medium enterprises. How many of those will survive? And if they don't, and, and many won't, what are the implications for the major players if the SMEs are not there? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, I remember uh, when our report came out, uh, a few people um, asked me, you know, the tagline of our report, uh, John, was called Why Corporate Security is National Security. And I remember uh, a few people said to me, oh, Anthony, what, seriously? Are you saying that... You know, protecting a business is, is heartland to our national security. Well, can I just say, John, would anyone doubt that now, <laughs> given no. what's happened uh, after the last few months, that the, the you know the business continuity and resilience is absolutely central to you know our, our overall national security. Uh, so many of the issues that, of course, the National Security Committee of Cabinet, many of the issues that the this. Uh, I think brilliant innovation of the national cabinet um, for dealing with uh, the the pandemic. Many of the issues touch on points that Don and I raised in in, in this report. That is uh, the need for business to be more integrated into our national crisis planning. So let and me let me uh, sorry go on. I was just going to add to that that one of our observations is business needs to avoid making decisions that jeopardise national security. And that is sort of things like being 
totally dependent on overseas suppliers if we lose our supply chain or if our overseas suppliers don't. Now, we can't be totally self-sufficient in Australia. We, we know that. But there are certain corporate decisions that do create vulnerability. The, one of the issues is how do corporates know what those decisions are? How do they know what needs to be protected here in Australia? And that's where there is a void. And it'd be question, those questions asked now, saying, well, why didn't somebody tell us we need to be able to make these things in Australia? Why weren't we given guidance that, you know, we should have a capability to do this? Business continuity planning would probably have allowed for work for home for those industries that can. Train drivers can't work from home. So how do you plan for that? That's the sort of thing corporates will do. But they need guidance from government as well so that they don't make decisions that will endanger the country. But they do make them, those decisions are made consciously. So let me wind this up by asking you both this question then, and perhaps, Anthony, I'll get you to kick off the response to it. It, it seems that the possibly the key finding that's come out of a lot of this amongst many is the void between government and corporate Australia and the, the, the communication gap that seems to have occurred. In your discussions with government, did you get the sense that there was an appetite amongst government to rectify that problem? Because if not, how do we move forward from here? I did get the impression that um, talking to, uh, and, and as Don said, we did talk to... Um, uh, very senior executives, in some cases, some cases uh, agency heads, uh, around the broad themes that we've been discussing uh, for the last half hour or so. Um, and I did come away with the impression that there was more an appetite to try and leverage um, the, the, the business community in national security, broadly defined planning, um, I mean, just to give you one example, uh, the independent review of our intelligence agencies, it was from uh, uh, 2017, one of its chief recommendations for, was for our national intelligence community to reach out to more to uh, academia, to think tanks, uh, to business in terms of um, uh, both the analysis uh, and, and assessment uh, aspects of, of our national intelligence uh, efforts. And I think Don and I found um, talking to people from, from, from that community, the intelligence community, that there definitely was a need, uh, particularly around issues to do with, with, with cyber, obviously, but, but, uh, but other areas as well, where there was a need to um, take much more seriously uh, the, the, the role of business and just going back to, to the void theme, I suppose, what we, on the flip side, also found was from business, often the expectations were a bit unrealistic, frankly, about what government could provide sometimes. I mean, they, they, there was, I got this strong impression that many of them believed that there was some treasure trove of, of, of information that the government was deliberately withholding from business. Um, so I think there is, there's a sort of misunderstandings, I suppose, um, 
on both sides when it comes to, for example, uh, intelligence uh, sharing arrangements. But look, it's a long way, long-winded way of saying the answer is yes. I did find, uh, I think we found, um, Don can come in on it, that there was uh, a great interest um, in, in trying to work out what were the capabilities of business, where they could add uh, value um, to, to, uh, to national security planning. Okay. So, Don, before you jump in and respond, let me ask you, mm-hmm. can, can you sort of frame your response in the context of if there is appetite amongst government to try and address the void and have better communication with corporate Australia, how does that happen? What does that look like? Do we need um, a, an industry association to lead the charge? Is there, how do we, re, does it have to be one of these groups like Icons who rekindles that? What does that look like? I think, I think it's got to come from the government side. The corporates are, I think, keen to be involved and to chat, but yeah, they are busy people, as are governments. The first step is somebody has to read the report. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's good. And then, and, and then agree that the, some or all of the recommendations are of value and they need to be implemented. And that's got to be at senior ministerial level, or at least, you know, secretary level, that sort of area, saying, here's a damn fine idea, let's get on with it. Because otherwise, talking to all the think tanks and all the rest, well-researched reports are written, and all of a sudden, nothing happens. Yep. Okay. Could I just jump in there, John, and say that I think, look, time is everything in life, and I think a lot of uh, rereading um, this report uh, for this interview, I actually found a lot of these suggestions that we were making, while they weren't obviously written in the context of a national uh, pandemic, um, a lot of the recommendations really are very relevant to the recovery phase post-COVID in Australia. Because many of the things that we're suggesting of trying to integrate business into national security absolutely are going to relate to uh, recovering from this um, health crisis. So I think, you know, as Don said, maybe maybe if uh, some of the people at the high levels of government and also in the industry um, can get an opportunity to to have a look at these suggestions in a, in a, in a fresh light, that is the, the light of you know coming out of post-COVID, um, I think that there could be an opportunity for more traction for some of these um, suggestions that we're making about um, better links between business and government on, on, on national security. And, and, and does anyone doubt now that in the recovery phase, um, business is, not, is going to be, um, not, oh, sorry, not going to be absolutely central to uh, how this country moves forward. Yeah. Well, look, gentlemen, thank you both very much for joining us. Um, It's been fascinating to talk this through. If anyone else is interested in getting hold of the report, uh, particularly people from the Department of Home Affairs, maybe you should read it. (coughs) Sounds like a great idea. Um, You can go to the Australian Strategic Policy Institute website, which is aspi.org.au. 
and look up the uh, from the boardroom to the situation room why corporate Australia or why why corporate security is national security. As I said, the the reports by Anthony Bergen, Don Williams, and Reese DeWild. Anthony and Don, thank you very much for being on the podcast. And you're welcome. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, there are other podcasts in this series. Uh, just go to Blurberry, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and everywhere else that great podcasts can be found. And we look forward to speaking to you again on the next podcast. Thank you.